I would sanitize, but I didn't even touch anything, bro. I didn't even touch it, bro. I'm not going to sanitize it, bro. I didn't even touch it. Thank you very much, mate. See you next week. See ya. You're doing a great job. Thanks. That was, sorry, it was just a, a cleaner. Um, always gets the gum I stick under the desk. He's very scrupulous. I just wanted to give a, a very short message to those people who've been hoarding groceries, rocking up the supermarkets and taking a whole, taking a whole trolley full of a, about a two-year supply of toilet paper and pasta combined. I just want to say that I think that it, what you've done is okay and I think it's perfectly reasonable and go fuck yourselves I was lying about the first part and I'm just waiting for the day where I go to pay for something at the checkout with my bank card and the clerk goes money? What good is money now? Pay me in sanitizer or dry pasta Humans we've existed as a species the homo sapiens species the modern human for over 200,000 years. When was toilet paper invented? 1857. So what do we do in the intervening time? That's the, that's the million dollar question. All right, so toilet paper is invented in 1857. A child is born sometime around 1890. They, they're at family Christmas. They, Grandma and Grandpa, what did you do before the invention of toilet paper and grandpa and grandma look at each other and they and they say look it was called love these days you kids call it a fetish so i received a notice from real estate it um looked very serious it said um, alert, high importance, and I was quite nervous when I opened the envelope. But when I read the, the first line, I realised there was no need to worry. In fact, I didn't even finish reading it. I said, it said, noise compliant. And I just fist bumped myself and said, noise compliant for the sixth week in a row. Yes! I'll have to tell my neighbours how well I'm going. The next door and on the other side, and I'm that I'm incredibly noise-compliant. Non-scented deodorant actually does have a scent. And that scent is body odour. After the success of the first home buyer's grant the Morrison government was giving out, I heard that they were going to trial some other first-time sort of grants. And ever since R.M. Williams were purchased by... Um, Louis Vuitton, people noticed an increase in the price of the product. Some people say, look, you know, it's hard for young people in this market to afford to buy a pair of RM Williams. And my dad had heaps of pairs of RM Williams. He was like, yeah, I got RM Williams at my beach house, at my apartment, at, in, this, in this house. And his granddad, he just showed up in Australia and got a pair of RM Williams. Like it was nothing. And in a pretty good location too, in an inner city shop. He didn't have to go out to Mount Gravatt or Rochdale to buy his R.M. Williams. And, and so it's pretty tough on our young people. So it's great to hear that the Morrison government is introducing the first pair of R.M. Williams boots buyer grant. I know it's not technically in the UN Declaration of Human Rights, but I think everyone has the right to chat up female corporate lawyers at Fridays in their black R.M. Williams boots. And so thanks to the Morrison government's first pair of R.M. Williams boots buyer grant. 
I think we'll be we finding more people being able to enter the market at a young age and, and get those army limbs up, as opposed to having to get a girlfriend you don't even love just so you can pull your assets together and afford to get a pair of army limbs boots and you keep the left, she keeps the right. That's not the ideal world. This is Australia, thanks to the Morrison government. I'm going to apply for the... First pair of R.M. Williams boots buyer grant. As soon as I get home, and I cannot wait to wear those down to the bars of Eagle Street and talk about capital gains tax, which really irks me, considering all those massive assets that are making massive capital gains in my portfolio. I need to go to the bathroom. Chairman Mao. Uh, Chairman Mao, excuse me. What is it, boy? Chairman Mao, it's about Hong Kong. Mr. Zhang, you are fully aware that on Thursdays I drink a 1.25 litre bottle of Coca-Cola while editing the Tiananmen Square Wikipedia page? Yes, Chairman Mao, but the people of Hong Kong are very angry. They're burning everything. But last time I checked the surveillance cameras in Hong Kong, they were very happy. Ah, well, that appears to be their issue, Chairman Mao. They don't like the surveillance cameras. But there aren't even surveillance cameras in the male bathrooms. Well, with respect, Chairman Mao, it's not the surveillance that they're worried about. It's that the people of Hong Kong want to listen to their favourite radio show, Talking Dressage with Harry Ravel Lee. But the radio signal is getting interfered with by the surveillance cameras. Well, I'm sorry. Surveillance is simply not an option. A great, noble, fearless leader, Chairman Mao, my lover and friend, may I suggest just one thing? Yes, disgraced former Australian Senator Sam Dastyari. Why don't we simply pretend to be this Harry Lee fellow, project ourselves over the speakers that are secretly planted in every Chinese person's eardrums and convince Hong Kong that we are, in fact, the radio show Talking Dressage with Harry Ravel Lee? You think the people of Hong Kong are stupid enough to fall for it? Well, they're stupid enough to want uh, human rights and democracy. Okay. well, I'll press this button and we'll see how it goes. Thank you. Thank you very kindly. A very, very warm reception. Wow, what a turnout. I thought everyone was dead. So, so generous for all of you with your time to come out tonight. And, uh, uh, Steve. Steve, yeah, the backing track. Steve. Uh, awesome to see you. The collective groan goes out across the hills of Brisbane. It's time for Talking Dressage where we do nothing, and I mean nothing, other than talk dressage. Uh, the pandemonium in the streets. People are already looting, or at least I am, in my own share house. Ate my housemate's pasta. Over $50 now. Um, people are saying, oh, close down the schools. You're putting our teachers at risk. It might seem like a lot of people are saying that, but that's just because there are a lot of teachers. It's like if you went to the, the male bathroom at Prohibition Nightclub and said, hey guys, is groping women okay? Uh, you'd probably walk away going, all right, it's okay to grope women. But that's just asking the wrong cross-section. Teachers, I know what they're up to. Very, very sneaky. See, they already get paid to do nothing for one third of the year. And now they want to get paid for a whole year. 
I went to school, all right? I know exactly what, what they're up to. Teachers are tricksters. First, you know, they start acting like they're your mate. They're buying you alcohol. They're inviting you over for private tutoring. They're offering you massages. Then next thing you know, you're getting an F in your assignment because you call your mum to pick you up when things get a little bit weird and awkward. A lot of people very ahead of the game when it came to this pandemic. A lot of people saw it coming. You might recall the, the people who denied the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, the, the, the bushfire victims in Victoria who refused to shake his hand. They knew what was up. Hey, that, that was like last year. They already knew to be careful of viruses. That, now, that's suspicious. Like George Columbaris, who stopped paying his hospitality workers months and months ago, way ahead of the curve. A lot of people saying... Good time to be in a couple. You're stronger as a couple. If there's two of you, you, you can send one out to the supermarket to, to wrestle uh, a packet of muesli out of the hands of a, a war veteran who's being a little bit greedy. They're saying coronavirus, you stop thinking about coronavirus. And it's hard to stop thinking about coronavirus because it's a very, like, uh, self-fueling sort of vicious cycle because when you try and not think about coronavirus... Um, you realise there's actually nothing else to think about because 2020 has been cancelled. It's like trying to forget your wife slept with your own brother, but you keep seeing the hickey on her neck. You go, that's okay, I forgive you. People make mistakes. I forgive you for sleeping with my brother. And you go, what is that? You've been hit with a golf ball or something on your neck? What's, what is that? What really affected me, the crisis we had in the Sydney water crisis in the late 90s where they apparently found two dead dogs in like a um a water pipe um that fed into the entire like tap water system it, it genuinely changed the way we live life because we had to boil water for months we had to uh, well it felt like months i was very young it's probably only like a couple of hours we had to boil water before drinking every time we drank the water so obviously if you're watching the afl and they'd be running out to to give the water you know about halfway through the third quarter holding kettles and then you have to stand there and blow on it until it cooled down you can drink it meanwhile other teams kick three goals but yeah i do recall there was a, a a young man in my grade who's um unfortunately at that time honestly chinese australians think they have it bad at, at the moment with like the racism around uh, coronavirus but there was a guy during the sydney water crisis where you had to boil the water there was a guy whose last name was Drinkwater. His name was like Sam Drinkwater or something. And wow, I must say, he was tremendously bullied. Like we did it, we did an absolutely fantastic job as a team in um, uh, just really bullying, bullying him a lot. This was before the the, the, the time of cyberbullying. We didn't have the internet back then, um, so. All the bullying you wanted to do, sometimes you needed to do for your own self-esteem, you had to get it all out of your system in, in person. You had to get it all out right there and then. It was probably a pretty bad time for Sam Drinkwater looking back. And, and people are talking about these, this crisis and how it's unprecedented coronavirus. And he's probably secretly thinking to himself, I, I prefer coronavirus to that Sydney, Sydney water crisis. That was a bad time. We, we learned that weddings, they're limited to five guests, but if you go to a boot camp and you're sweating and you're punching each other, you can have ten people. The clever amongst us were, were finding loopholes. If you got married during boot camp, you could slip in an extra five guests. I'm thinking more ambitious than that, and this is quite novel, but no one else has sort of jumped on it yet. Uh... Scott Morrison said nothing about orgies, gangbangs, group sex. He said nothing about these matters. So as far as I'm concerned, why stop at 10? Get married and get a little bit closer with um, your family and friends. That is something 
uh, you won't forget quickly. Um, and everyone wants a memorable wedding. I actually, I am a, an amateur marriage celebrant. Uh, as of last year, I got registered. I can legally marry people. And um, this might sound like a, a plug for my own um, side business. And I assure you, it definitely is. Uh, a couple got in touch with me uh, just, uh, just yesterday, actually. And they said, we want to get married like as soon as possible. And I thought, isn't this beautiful? They just want to get married. And they, and they know that they can only have... You know, it's a maximum of five people. They can, they can actually only have two guests, right? That's like w each each spouse has to choose one parent. Like that's tough. Um, and like, so it's not about Instagram. It's not about wedding cakes and dresses, and it's just about love. And I, and I love that. I love that this couple. They just knew what marriage is for, and they wanted to get married for the right reasons. And I told them, I think this is just beautiful. Why you're getting married? And they said, Yeah, exactly. Her working visa is about to expire, so really need to get married. Otherwise, she's going to get deported. I actually. Don't really like it that much. Seriously, we are in a hurry. Hello, Jeremy speaking. Hello, Jeremy. It's Harry from Fortunable Z. How are you? Hey. I'm All right. ready. You I'm put ready. your interview hat on. Interview hat is on. All right. Now I'm wearing my lucky interview underpants, so let's do it. Oh, good choice. Our next guest on Talking Dressage needs an introduction because you, you actually can't see him. He is a musician, nice guy, and he represented Australia in snowboard half-piping at the 1936 Winter Olympics in Cairo, and he's a musician. Please make a warm welcome for Jeremy Neal. Hey, hey, Harry. It's good to be here, mate. How you going? Very well indeed. It, well, by phone. It's good to be wherever you are, which I presume is safe. Yeah, well, I, I don't know. How, how safe is anybody? You know what I mean? Uh, not, not safe from uh, coronavirus, but we're talking about are we safe from capitalism? We may be soon. We don't know yet. The world is getting, or Australia is getting, a little bit more socialist, really, with the uh, advent of, uh, you know, money going out yeah looking the, after people the coronavirus really twisted scott morrison's arm it's a very very handy trick by the socialists to introduce <laughs> this this virus which i <laughs> is that a conspiracy theory you've come up yet i believe you're in day 10 or 11 of self-isolation jeremy uh it is day 10 yeah it's interesting you know there's been highs and lows today like i did my weekly shop at Coles, yes. and that was like the most that's the most like panic attack inducing thing at the moment you know, a lot of people around, various levels of um, personal hygiene or awareness. Like I saw some guy uh, uh, having a good, uh, you know, scratchy pick of the nose. And I'm like, oh, no, now you're going to go and touch products. If you see someone picking their nose in coals again, just spray them with the Windex, Jeremy. That's what it's there for. Ah, uh, see, this is, this is a new briefing that needs to happen. You know what I mean? Teach people the hard way about public hygiene. The other thing is if anybody coughs anywhere in your vicinity, I feel like it's one of those, like, uh, you know, hard sitcom edits where, like, it, the camera zooms on the person that coughs and then zooms back to your face with fear and then, you know, I just turn the other direction. Yeah, That's I reckon terrible. the bold and the beautiful um, just hold that pose for a good 30 seconds as the, the fade-up music goes into the commercials. Yeah. And then hold it for another 30 seconds on the other end of the commercial break. Yes, 100%. And then break the tension with the Curb Your Enthusiasm theme. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a copy of your latest album to date. We were trying to make it out. Track one of Side B is a track called Our Days Are Numbered. Now, like that King of Kings Chinese restaurant, which inexplicably shut down in February, a bit before all this happened, did you know this pandemic was going to happen? Look, I didn't, but obviously if I can find a way uh, to capitalise on it through music, of course. So, you know, the people behind Big Coronavirus 
if you want to license the use of the use of uh, <laughs> our days are numbered, uh, please talk to my people. The musical themes that we see a lot. There's a lot of stuff just about heartbreak and you know seeing your ex-girlfriend dance with another in the club and it's a really sad song about how you're struggling to move on do you think that this coronavirus situation and the impending societal collapse is sort of putting all that in perspective and, and maybe we'll see more happy music in the future as people go well you know what i might have seen my ex-girlfriend dance with another guy but i've got all my limbs huge gratitude mix everywhere i think like the verses will just be your gratitude list and then the chorus <laughs> Um, will just be, you know, just a general celebration. I'm thankful, thankful. Then the bridge will be your vision board. And then round it out in the outro with just a little, um, you know, like just nods of thanks to the universe. I think it is time that we do address the elephant in the room, Jeremy. What the hell are you doing here? Shouldn't you be in a zoo? No, but the, what, the elephant in the room, which is the, the cancelled concerts, Jeremy. Oh, my gosh. I mean, that is an elephant. An elephant never forgets. Um, and never forget that you got to cancel those shows and that never forget not to take the flight. It's a shame, you know, especially, I guess, if you've just put out a record, you kind of have like a finite window where it's shining and new and you can tell people, you know, how good you think it is. Um, I mean, you can keep doing that forever, but then at some point you're like, come on, man, Jezza, just put out another record. We don't want to hear about this other one. It's done. It's been... It's been four weeks. It's like the people who figured out the earth was round during Catholic rule. You know, it's, ba it's bad timing, except maybe you won't be beheaded. Yes, well, we don't know, but we hope not. But here's the thing. Bad timing, sure. But what about the people who learned that the earth was flat in the last couple of years? I, I heard there was a man who was convinced it was still flat. No one would fund his um, space um, travel idea, so he, he made his own one. And he built it, and he launched himself up in the air, and he died. Bet he died happy, though, knowing the Earth was flat. The, the moment he spontaneously combusted, he would have said, Oh, the government's done this! <laughs> flat! His last words were flat! <laughs> yeah, just laughing about someone who died. Um, so okay, well, look, okay, I'm sorry. Look, uh, <laughs> tragedy. Um, comedy. What's the thing? What's the thing people say? I don't know. Jeremy. What's the profound thing they say about life? Everyone who believes that the earth is flat is someone's brother or sister, daughter or son, someone's neighbour who's rifling through their, their bins on a Tuesday night. That's true. But Jeremy, the, the other artists aren't releasing anything in this time period because they're aware that they can't capitalise upon the, the buzz. And so what you, I think what you might find, not only is there um, sort of a freeze of the economy, but we're seeing a freeze in music releases where people will actually be listening to We Were Trying to Make It Out by Jeremy, Neil, for this entire hibernation period. Okay, this is promising. I've got a, I've got a larger window. I yes, will yes. just keep flogging this record um, and pretending that I'm releasing it every Friday moving forward. It's like the 1700s, Jeremy. It's like when they used to publish a concerto like by Mozart. There'd be nothing else for like 55 years. Oh, you're right. And finally, Spotify will have to give into my demands and put me on one of those fancy sp playlists that millions of people listen to. Yes. <laughs> We've got no other choice, Jeremy. I'm like, good. I've got you right where I wanted you. <laughs> Six months into a pandemic. We're just trying to put a positive spin on this whole pandemic thing. Just like the guy who's secretly been in love with his housemate for nine years and now it's just them locked in a house together for six Crikey. months. 
it's a, it's a lot of uh, cabin fever versions of uh, The Bachelor. You know, I'm a reality TV person. Are you a reality TV person? Sorry, Jamie, just a moment. Please, please do not urinate on that. That's a TV. Don't urinate on the TV. I just bought a new one. Don't. Uh, why are you looking at me like that? Uh, you know I can't say no when you look at me like that. Uh, fine, go ahead, urinate on the TV. Stop giving me that sad face. Uh, sorry, Jeremy, that was just my girlfriend. Um, what you were saying... Uh, I'm going to get you a television during these times. Yeah, I just go to Harvey Norman every lunch break and just stand there in front of the TVs watching <laughs> HD images of waterfalls going, wow! <laughs> this is how they are for living. Eventually the store clerks come up and go, excuse me, sir, you have an erection, you have to leave. Um, uh, but, waterfalls are beautiful. <laughs> um, love is love, Jeremy. <laughs> Um, now, Jeremy, you are self-isolating because your miso soup is pregnant at the moment. It's true. So yep. um, we're just locking down, you know? Which is weird. You kept insisting we do this interview face-to-face -face in a food court. <laughs> I did, but there's <laughs> celebrants here, so uh, <laughs> um, it's going to be fine. Jeremy, um. <laughs> the people have found the loophole for these weddings. They say, oh, five people. What if we just do it during a personal training session? We can have ten guests. So genius. You got a wedding, you got a gym. And there's going to be... It's going to be happening. And you know what? You want know a fun wedding memory? You know, breaking up by the authorities. The wedding yeah. you never forget. You got a wedding, you got a fine. You got a wedding, you got a fine. You got a gym. <laughs> yeah. Boom. Ka-ching. I miss a lot of things already. Like, my favorite place in the world, like, my happy place, is the cafe I go to every morning. Right. Oh, like, on, on James it. Street, right? Yeah, you know the one well. I think I saw uh, you there once. Yeah, it's a Blue Bear Coffee House. It's okay. just a beautiful place, wonderful people. You know, my um, my routine's gone. I think that's a big thing too. I'm such a routine person. Like right. you, you, are you a routine guy, Harry? I am the complete opposite. I read a book, Jeremy, and you're a musician. You should have read this book too. It's called um, The Art of Creative Thinking, and it was about always to keep on your toes, never walk home the same way you walked to work, and one of the things was to never set the same alarm. Like, you set a new alarm every night, and so obviously there have been a couple of disasters where I've rocked up like three hours late for work, but every night... I said it. I, I go. What time do I want to wake up tomorrow? And I go seven nineteen. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. That's cool. A bit of extra free time uh, to read all that news. Yeah. You know what doing. <laughs> uh, it's also a great time to to look up on the internet how to make pasta. Obviously, you can't make the pasta because mums of five uh, overweight and anxious children have uh, cleaned Woolworths and Coles out. But you can, of yeah, course, truly have. do a lot of um, academic research on how to make pasta at home. Yeah, theoretically, that would be good, actually, because then I hope to be, like, a, you know, some kind of, like, pasta keynote speaker. Yeah. Um, so that could be a, a viable thing once we get through this period. And mm -hmm. you want to be one of the first movers into that economy. They put in alcohol limits today with the amount of alcohol you can buy in one transaction. And the limits are 18 bottles of wine, three casks. And you have to be over 15 years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything's changing. The law is being rewritten every day. Who knows what we'll get tomorrow, which is where your whole thing fits, where your whole wake up at a different time. It actually, you're going to survive this situation. Jeremy, I knew this was coming. Thrive. Yeah, you did. You knew because you must have inceptioned the idea for me to write the album that is now wildly appropriate. You, that day you saw me at the cafe, you put that in my brain. <laughs> and guess what else I did? <laughs> I shook your hand. <laughs> oh my gosh, damn it. Patient zero. You've been doing some online streaming gigs. Yeah, you got to do it. you got to be, as the 
keynote pastor speaker. You've got to be one of the first movers on this. <laughs> so what I tried to do was be one of the first movers into this terrain. So I had a, yeah. you know, I had a Thursday night thing last week and a Friday night thing, both on Facebook Live. Then I took it to Instagram as part of Isolate Festival um, with a, you know, stellar lineup. It's stacked. Um, it's the online Woodstock of our generation. Truly. I figured what has to happen in this period of time once we've had these kind of things is that people need to get progressively more elaborate sets in their own home. So, like, yes. you start out, it's cool, I get it, it's your, it's your house. But by the end of it, you're kind of doing that uh, that late-night talk show kind of thing. Elaborate set. Well, I, I saw on your Facebook live stream the other night, you did have an elaborate set. Look, I did piece something together in the garage. Um, I had an old Jeremy Neal banner. Um, I had Muppy the Muppet. Um, I had uh, a sign that I bought from Life Factory in the Valley that says pizza um, lights up. Don't you, if people are really enjoying these online streaming concerts, don't you think this rubs a bit of salt in the wound of our local music venues which have been forced into shutdown? It's like your boyfriend breaking both his legs and then you go out mountain bike riding with other guys on the weekend saying, this was awesome, and, you, and you're Instagram living it. You're thinking, are you saying, Harry, that in, in solidarity we should just not be playing music? It's like a... There's six months, <laughs> no music. Yeah. Um, you tune into Four Triple Z. You can hear people talking, but no songs are allowed to be played. If you even speak in anything other than a monotone, you will be fined on the spot and beaten with sticks. Was it last year? Correct me if I'm wrong. Was last year you were inducted into what could only be the musical walk of fame in Brisbane in the Brunswick Mall? You had a plaque installed. The symbolic nature of the plaque was that uh, I was awarded the um, song of the year. The Queensland yes. Music Awards, and for a song called "Dancing and Romance," dancing, dancing, romancing, um, which yeah, it's a happy song. You know, it's got a bop. I haven't been out of the house that far to be able to check on the plaque. Um, I don't know if it's one of the first things that'll disappear in these times, but <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm very proud of the plaque. I was stoked for that to happen. It was really wild too, because uh, you know I was up against Amy Shark for that too, and usually Amy Shark wins everything, but that one thing. Well, she actually does have a plaque in Brunswick Mall already, Jeremy. Yeah, she did already have a plaque. Which leads me to my next question. Oh, tell me more. I, I assume that the, the local government or the Queensland government decides which plaques go in the mall. So this would be a government decision and thereby judicially reviewable under yeah. the Judicial Review Act of 1977. And I would like a review of the decision to add in a plaque for Amy Shark after releasing one single. She didn't even... At the time the plaque was installed, Jeremy, she didn't even have an album yet, all right? And I would like this decision reviewed, and if possible, the plaque removed. My gosh, some kind of plaque attack. Call me Colgate. I'm attacking plaque. Well, here's the thing. This is the interesting part about it all. See, the recipient of the plaque, because it's song of the year, you just have to have a song, which is a wild concept. But it's cool, because I like it, because just having one song is more achievable. It means, theoretically, during this lock-in, I learned the bagpipes. I make a stirring bagpipe um, electro-funk dubstep song. Yeah, you knuckle down, you do what the world needs, and then the world rewards you. I capitalise upon the music freeze of the coronavirus pandemic. Yes, you become and, a first mover. And this time next year, I have a plaque in Brunswick Mall. Is that what you're trying to tell me, Jeremy? That's what I'm trying to tell you. What I'm trying to tell you is that those plaques that are there, they give everybody hope. So you've got to love and respect all those plaques that are there, because what that means is if they can get a plaque, you can get a plaque because it only takes one song. Jeremy, you should be guarding this plaque. You should be there every Saturday night making, making sure no one bloody spills kebab juice on this thing, which they probably are, Jeremy. Does this distress they, you? 
obviously at some point I'll have to go down there at 5 a.m. every day and clean it, which <laughs> is what I was doing uh, up until this whole situation. Now it's been 10 days. I want to kind of get like a live webcam situation on it so I can check on it every so often, but to me that it's out of sight, out of mind at the moment. You know, I want to assume that someone else is just looking after it. Um, when this is all over, I'll go there. It'll be glistening. It'll be like those clips that are popular where it's like, oh, this guy raised a tiger cub, but they haven't seen each other for seven years. And then, yeah. like, he sees a full-grown tiger, runs up and gives him a big hug. Yeah. That'll be me in the park. And then eats, um, his, eats his friend who came along with him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, no loyalties to anyone else that's going to that park meet and greet. The park may turn on other people, but I'm hoping that the park is really happy to see me. If it hasn't been repossessed by the Chinese government, melted down and then welded across an apartment door. Well, I mean, that's the thing. Uh, oh, sorry, Jeremy. Yeah, Harry, what's going on? You are renowned in the music industry as a nice guy. I think it would be remiss of me not to read out some fan mail. I'm glad it's been uh, redirected to you. What's, tell me about this fan mail. Well, the first fan mail comes from Steve from Wynnum. Oh, great suburb, great name. Yes, Steve says, Jeremy Neal slept with my sister. Damn. Uh, Pat's will read out some other ones, Jeremy. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, no, that's all right. I should no, have no, checked no. these first. I was in such a hurry. Um, the second one comes from Sarah from Wynnum. Oh, great suburb. Great name. <laughs> Jeremy, this is Sarah. Please pay the child support for once. Look, I told you there's nothing more important than protecting the baby through this whole situation. Um, so, obviously, uh, I'll... Uh, Get on transferring some cash. Thanks, thanks. For, on behalf of Sarah, I'd like to say thank you, Jeremy. Uh, how about we got, we probably got time for one more? I'll just grab uh, this one. Yeah. This is um, here we are. This is uh, from Greg from Newmarket, not from Wynnum, Jeremy, not from uh, Wynnum, Newmarket. from Newmarket. Greg's done quite well for himself. Newmarket is yes. a nice suburb. Yes, he's probably wronged a lot of people and taken a lot of money off the vulnerable. Um, not to cast any aspersions upon Greg, he is a big fan. So he's probably um, a stand-up guy. What, what's going on? What's going on, Greg? Actually, I can't say that word. That is, uh, this is prime time. I can't actually say that word either, or that word. I can say this. My sister, I uh, can't say that word. Oh, can't say that word. Um, caught him in... The, uh, I actually cannot say that word either. I might just wrap that up there, um, Jeremy. <laughs> Great to hear from fans. It's so nice to hear from fans. So uh, just keep on writing in those letters. Uh, you know I'll read them, I'll respond to them. Uh, that's so cool. <laughs> Jeremy Neal, nice guy, musician, and a musician. Thanks for coming on the Talking Dressage. See you next time. Harry, thank you, mate. See you then. And look, I got back home on Sunday and I saw the news, the shocking news that all these backpackers had flocked to Bondi Beach and they had to simply close the beach because of this irresponsible behaviour by foreigners. And I was shocked and appalled as I read that news uh, on the comfort of Malulabar Beach. I'm going to put it all out in the open. I also went to the pub and I went to a bowls club on the weekend. And look, this this is irresponsible behaviour. It was a great time, but it was irresponsible behaviour. It was was actually, it was awesome. And um, if I had the chance to do it again, I would feel so bad about the... I, I, I would do it, but I'd feel guilty about it. If the media 
got a hold of of me going to the beach and a pub on the weekend if the media got a hold of it uh, oh luckily i am the media i got this chant going like last beer of the year like last beer of the year last beer of the year and it really it really cottoned on a lot of people were, were definitely feeling that um last beer of the year i think that wasn't the main reason people were in the pub i think a lot of people were just trying to um get as much out of the pokey as they could before the, the lockdown but what they didn't realize they were doing is putting as much in the pokies as they possibly could before the lockdown people might say oh harry that was irresponsible to go to the beach harry that was irresponsible to go to the pub harry did you fart did you fart was that you people might say these things but there was no law at the time saying i couldn't do it the pub was open i walked in i was socially distant yes i was and all that social distancing for the most part was a guideline hey guys like can you just please not get so close to each other i sort of looked at china they literally welded metal steel bars over apartment doors so you couldn't leave that was the chinese guideline um that's the guideline they had to follow i actually got the last haircut of the year yesterday the my local hairdresser was closing down for the foreseeable future i have anxiety about haircuts and I famously did not get a haircut for one and a half years after finishing high school. I didn't trust them. I had a local hairdresser in high school. My parents would march me up there. Um, you're essentially a prisoner of war before like, you get a casual job as a student. I, so I need to get a haircut for school, but I don't have the money to pay for it myself. I'm a prisoner of war. They marched me up just like it was Dachau and they, would, they took me to the local hairdresser. And honestly, the haircut wasn't that much different to, de- to what they get in Dachau. This guy... He, he, I fucking remember him. He was, um, God, I can remember him so vividly. It's like he's here. My God, he is here. Get the hell out of here. Thank you. Um, uh, social distancing. Um, and he, he wore white joggers with these terrible jeans. And that, and that was an alarm bell. And he had hair like Guy Fieri. One of the, the funny thing about Guy Fieri is you, you see a picture of him in like 1998 and you go, wow, that is such a 1998 haircut. And then you look at a photo of Guy Fieri in like 2020 and you go, that is such a 1998 haircut. And he would cut my hair in such a way that I earned, and I'm quite proud of this, I earned the nickname in high school, Helmet. Um, they would call me Helmet because my hair looked like a freaking helmet. Freaking hate that freaking guy. So, what the... Yeah, I got the last haircut of the year. I got this guy who hadn't cut my hair before. He, he was pretty... He looked uh, pretty alternative, to say the least. I was like, yo, last haircut. And he's like, that's right. Last fucking haircut. Fuck this place. Fuck this freaking place screwed me over, man. I don't even give a fuck anymore. Let's fucking send it. And I was like, oh, ooh. And he's putting the, the, the coat over me and putting that little ribbon around my neck. Let's fucking send it, man. Place freaking screwed me over. Meant to have four weeks paid leave. Not even paying me. I didn't even care anymore. I'm sitting there. Well, I, I was sort of thinking to myself. Well, I'm gonna be in self isolation. I'm only getting this haircut so I don't go caveman or anything. I'd actually be more mad if I got a good haircut because it'd be like infuriating. You'd be like, oh god, like this awesome haircut and no one's here to see it. But yeah, I was like, I thought you'd want to go out in style. Like you want your last haircut to be like the best. Sort of like. The Godfather trilogy, like number three, was just the best. The A-League soccer in Australia played a few games behind closed doors and they actually got a record attendance. (laughs) 
since New Zealand shut its borders. It's actually um, received a record number of Australians moving to New Zealand. It really upset every time I hear this this whole thing about, oh, we have Prime Minister envy. Oh, we just love Jacinda Ardern. Hashtag Prime Minister envy. It's like, well, if you love her so much, you're going to just move to New Zealand. But no one moves to New Zealand. Ever. It's, and, and then she recently said, oh, look, uh, because Scott Morrison is giving, quite rightfully so, he's giving out uh, quite um, relatively substantial payments to people who've been uh, lost their jobs and things like that, but only to Australian citizens. And uh, Jacinda Ardern came out and she said, she made a please, please, Scott Morrison, won't you also give those payments to New Zealand citizens who are in Australia? And everyone said, that is Jacinda Ardern. She is so thoughtful, always thinking of others. She's realised that there are New Zealanders in Australia not getting the payments. And I thought to myself, well, if she's so bloody fantastic, why doesn't she bloody pay them? Hashtag Prime Minister Envy for New Zealanders, I think. It's like all those American celebrities, the Hollywood people, who are like, oh my God, if Donald Trump is elected, I am getting on the first boat to Canada. And they're like, dude, Canada is connected by land to America. And they're like, oh, God, I've actually never been out of Los Angeles, so I wouldn't know. Uh, and then Donald Trump won. And it's like, wait, who's moved to Canada? Why isn't there like Montrealywood yet? It's like when two doctors have a child... And they work real hard as doctors to give you the best education possible. Go to dinner parties and they say, how's little Stephen going? Yeah, yeah, he's five now. Yeah, and what does he want to be? A doctor. He's five and he wants to be a doctor. Yeah, he, he's going to be, sorry, he wants to be a doctor. And then he grows up and he wants to be a musician. And the parents get very, very upset. They say, you disappointed us. We're disowning you. Um, we're putting you in a basket and leaving you on the front step of a church. And you go, Mum and Dad, I'm 26. And that man grew up to be Kevin Parker. <laughs> I had a, I had what could only be described as a bucket load of muesli before I came here. I was asked, Harry, why did you eat so much muesli? I simply had to say, because it was something to do. Harry, fresh out of prison, straight to my underground steel bunker, um, away from that pesky SARS. Sorry, I've been in prison a long time. Is everyone still panicking about SARS? If if the Strokes really endorse what Bernie Sanders is saying, then at, from a, at least 2001 onwards, they they would have given half their earnings to uh, less fortunate bands who are, you know, playing in empty bars and downtown. Honestly, they've been perfectly able to give away half their money for the, for the entire for their entire careers. So if they were really into it, so like Russell Brand when he had that wig out. It's funny, he actually turned even more nutty when he gave up alcohol. It was a, an amazing advertisement for not ever going sober. It just, you just, I think he thought too much. Just when you, you're thinking those big questions like, oh, what's it all for? Why do I go to work every day doing something I don't like? It's Friday, and then you go drinking and you get distracted. Uh, it's funny, on Wednesday, actually, this is two stories, one, this is good value. I, um... So I messaged an old flame not long ago. It wasn't like a, you know, it wasn't four o'clock in the morning. I was stumbling home going, why don't girls like me? Um, I did do that, but I just didn't message her then. And and I said, yeah, what's been going on? She says, oh, thank God you just messaged. Tomorrow, having a gathering at mine, you have to come along. I said, okay. And so I, I put on my best tie. I tucked in my shirt, gave my hair a bit of a comb, made made sure I wore my lucky underwear. And I get to this um, little gathering. And she says, Harry, thank God you're here. Please, I'd like you to meet my partner, Fiona. 
But uh, yeah, I would take it as a as a mild insult. She did have a bo- she had a boyfriend after me, so maybe something went awry there. But surely the sweet memory of that one hot July night would have kept her straight. But no, you can't help these things, and there's nothing I could have done as far as I'm concerned. And um, and the new girl Fiona, lovely lady. In fact. I'd sleep with her too. So I can see exactly where this former flame of mine is coming from. You talk to some... Uh, you got a friend who works in the public service and they got one of those soul-destroying but somehow well-paying jobs and, and you see them in elevators and you go, mate, how's your Tuesday going? Oh, all right, only three days till Friday. <laughs> and then, you, yeah, and then you, you high-five down low, except you don't because it's the coronavirus crisis. So you do the Wuhan shake and just elbow bump that shit. Um, oh, sorry, excuse the French. Um, just straight talk, Wuhan straight talk there. And what's Friday. Friday is the day where you knock off in the afternoon and you go have a few shanties, you go have a few lagers. So the empowering thing is, if you knocked off work on a Tuesday and went and had some drinks until the early hours of the morning, you essentially just artificially created a Friday. You created the, the circumstances to convince yourself that that was Friday. And so if you do that every night, if you knock off work on time and go out drinking at a bar, you essentially have five Fridays. And this is empowering stuff. But unfortunately, uh, if the US does vote in Bernie Sanders, there'll be no more after-work drinks because there'll be no after-work. You'll just be digging holes in the snow all year round. Hello. Our next guest on Talking Dressage needs no introduction. How are you going? Oh, good, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> it's Mr. John Field. It, for those of you well-versed with music of the 80s, 90s and now, John, you were once a member of the Cockroaches. I was, Harry, yes. And then you became uh, the, uh, one of the songwriters and, uh, and had some sort of administrative role as well for the Wiggles, I understand. Well, no, I, I was just a songwriter. I never did anything administrative, otherwise they would have gone nowhere. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You kept your hands clean. Okay. Oh, yes, I am, man. Oh, well, fantastic. Well, out from the shadows of of songwriting, and you've got your brand new uh, solo album, Dipped in Blue, blue uh, being known as the the colour of sadness. John, on behalf of everyone here at 4ZZZ, are you okay? (laughs) I'm fine, but thanks. It's good to ask, Harry. It's very good to ask. (laughs) Thank you. No, I'm good, man. I'm very good. I'm very good. Dipped in Blue... It is a bit bluesy, but it's also because when we, we in Sydney we had a heat wave, yes, and my air conditioning broke, and I had to go to the pool every half an hour, dip myself in the blue. Right. So now that you have, I mean, you, you've proven yourself as a songwriter before, but you know when you were writing for the Wiggles, and you were uh, watching each Wiggle leave the club each Saturday night with two divorced mums under each arm, were you ever like, I need to get back up there on the stage? Well, actually, I'm gonna. Just laughing at your analogy. Um, <laughs> uh, um, yes, I, I, but I've, I've luckily had for about the last fifteen years. I have a function band that I front in in Sydney and everywhere. Actually, we go all around Australia. Yes, and uh, I write for other people, but these these particular 
16 songs only suited me. And they're very, a lot of them are very personal to me, so that's why I put them out. It's, it's a matter of what uh, Miley Cyrus would call self-love. Fantas- Speaking of Miley Cyrus, I mean, uh, you've previously written for you know chil- children's music. You, you've written and performed uh, children's music for the Wiggles as well. Mm-hmm. You know, to transition into adult contemporary uh, rock, did you have to have some sort of Miley Cyrus moment where you come out on a, a naked on a on a wrecking ball and say, "Look at me, kids! <laughs> you can't <laughs> hang out with me no. anymore." <laughs> no, no, Harry, no, no need for the wrecking ball. No, music comes from the same place, so everything was just. Just, I mean, the subject matter changes. Obviously, you can't write about hot potatoes and you can't write about, uh, you know, Dorothy, but you, you, this, the, the music comes from the same place. It's from blues and country and soul and all those wonderful melting pot. But, of course, the, kind of the subjects we are much more serious. So uh, but I, enjoy, I enjoy all of it. I enjoy all, all songwriting, Harry. It's just, just an absolute addiction for me. Yes, I mean, if mashed banana was some sort of metaphor for a sexual position, then they'd be playing it at schoolies every night. And and but I would say on the topic of a uh, hot potato, just change it to hot coworker, hot coworker. Yes, but Harry, you, I, I won't go there. But I, I, I see you have. <laughs> <laughs> We're all thinking it. <laughs> I mean, the the cockroaches got back together in 2014, and and um, yeah. so you you you're back on those duties. I, I've got to tell you a story about the cockroaches. I mean, uh, I I be, recently began share housing with a, a new person, and she also had a record collection. And so we said, well, let's compare the pair. Same super contribution. Let's see what records we have in common. And we both have over a hundred each. This is quite an exercise. We realised we had two in common. Um, Tears for Fears songs from the big chair and a 12-inch copy of um, Some Kind of Girl by The Cockroaches. That is that is quite surprising. That really is. That's amazing. That is amazing. And that is, I thought you'd say maybe The Cockies album. One, I think we released three or four, but, 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 but you both had the 12-inch of Some Kind of Girl. Specifically. Oh Yes, I, I, I certainly. When I moved in, I wasn't expecting to have to put my my name on a label on my twelve inch um, <laughs> some kind of girl cockroaches record. I was thinking it'd just be the milk and bread, but um, <laughs> yeah. That is that. And, and do you still do you collect records? Uh yes. I mean, it's uh, something I've been doing for a few years, but only recently, in the last year or so, has my addiction become one which uh, doctors would label spiraling out of control. Because <laughs> I had I had a huge collection which I sold many years ago for far too little money. Uh-huh. But uh, I just yeah I, I sort of regret it. I think I sort of regret it because it, it was it was big. It was a big collection. I okay. But it yes, it's, it's funny that it was around the beginning of the two thousands when there was a everyone thought that records were just absolutely valueless. I remember um, my mum and dad putting yeah. boxes of them out for five cents at a garage yeah. sale. I sold mine for eighty. I, I remember it distinctly. Oof, Eighty bucks. For that hurts, a, John. That hurts. It does. I, and, and Harry and my, my son, who's a mad about music like myself, he he won't let me forget it. Vinyl through really good speakers sounds magnificent. Well, really it's a different nice. sound wave, isn't it? So yet actually, if it affects you in a more profound way than the sound wave of a CD or MP3, that's science, John. 
Is that is that Harry? Have you opened the door for me? I, I I hear you. I hear you. Is that is that what it is? I forget if someone told me that in a pub or if it was just like a, a maybe a meme <laughs> on Facebook. I, uh, I'll just say don't quote me, but that's what I've been telling people for years. But I've actually never fact checked myself. <laughs> So writing children's music, which is with great power comes great responsibility because you could easily slip in some subliminal messages that are you know, pro-coal and pro-fossil fuels and then on the day of a climate protest, a kid's waking up going, Mum, I don't feel like going to the climate protest today. I don't know why, but for some strange reason I want to turn the aircon on, even though it's February, and buy a four-wheel drive even though we live in the inner city. And yes. I don't, I don't yes. even own a tent. But thanks for making me this poster, Mum, and for telling school I was sick today. Be done. Although they could be hinted at, but we, Harry, we don't. It's the, the thing about kids' music. It's one idea. It's that. That's. Uh, I think that's what my brother Anthony, you know, runs the musical the Wiggles, impressed upon me at a very early stage. He said it's one idea. Just get one idea. And a lot of people, when they write kids' music, write five ideas. You know, just it literally is. You've got to be very economical with your songwriting. When you write contemporary and when you write adult, you can, you can be less economical. You can do introductions and, you know, and middle eights and bridges and fake choruses and all this sort of thing. But kids' music is very direct. People don't really say it this way. It kind of sounds hard for people like this, but their brains are developing. They're not yeah. smart, John. <laughs> A very young child can only understand um, there's a certain interval in music that they can, they can understand. You can do clever stuff, but you can't do anything that's too complex So um, because the child won't understand it. In, in 2020, I think if the wiggle started now, we'd need 37 different wiggles to, to keep every socio-political demographic of modern Australia covered. We'd have anarchist, goth, South African-Australian wiggle in the light the, like, skivvy. But... Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean the, the the wiggles did continue, and and I think I think it was the right decision to to get a female wiggle in there. I think um, it's oh, Emma's message. been lovely. She's a, she's a wonderful performer, an amazing dancer, and uh, um, it, it's 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 very much uh, brother Anthony's original idea, and and these the original wiggles had incredible chemistry together. They were fantastic, and and this the latest uh, version of the wiggles is 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 fantastic too. I, I, I like them both. I, I, I like them both. They most um, sang my songs. <laughs> yep, they paid for the house, so... <laughs> yeah. That's good. There's a bit of um, a Wiggles connection to my hometown in the Hills District of Sydney. I, I live in Brisbane now, but um, I know the Yellow Wiggle was definitely a, a nearby resident. Yeah, Greg Page, yeah. Yes. He, was, uh, he was around that area, and we weren't far from that area when we grew up either. Uh, we, we grew up in Kellyville. Okay, so. right. When I when I was there growing up, it was a very family friendly place, great place to raise your kids. But the trouble was, yeah. all those kids grew up. They got their pee plates. They became teenagers. They now they hang around in McDonald's car parks. And I would say, yeah, I would say Old Northern Road. If you can yeah. walk for fifteen minutes down Old Northern Road on a Saturday night without uh, someone with red pee plates driving past and yelling at you out the window, I reckon you need to buy yourself a lottery ticket. <laughs> is that true Harry really is it, Old Northern Road's become like that I didn't know that and they, they drive real fast so you can't actually make out what they say all you hear is you f- wow. you little f- yeah yeah but anyway yep. Kellyville's nice yep. Kellyville's much nicer Kellyville it was nice the soccer oval was slanted for many years it was this massive slant <laughs> on it. actually we had 10 acres there wow and, and now it's, it's just um, suburbia 
and it's quite amazing to drive through it. Yeah, that's what my parents always said as well. They'd, they'd say, look, they'd point at the backyard and, and they'd say, see all that? Used to be bush. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> If you if you knew it as bush, it's, a, it's a quite an eerie feeling to see it um, all developed. Yeah, all developed. mind you, I'm sure yeah. there are plenty plenty of Indigenous Australians that point at the, uh, the Opera House and Harbour Bridge and say, "Used to be bush." And will you be visiting <laughs> Brisbane anytime soon to play these for us? I hope so, Harry. I, I hope so. It, it it's an it's an economic decision to bring eight people up on the road. Oh yes. So if, if the album does very well, or if I can uh, uh, jump on a, one of those uh, tours with about uh, ten bands in it, then we'll be coming up to Brisbane. Um, I did it many, 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 many times in the eighties, and have great memories of it. Yep. And well, it's a cracking city. I, I I would put it in easily my top seven Australian capital cities at the moment. It's a great place to play, <laughs> and an even better place to leave. Um, they, <laughs> no, I do love Brisbane, John. I do love Brisbane. I'm not coming back to the hills, mate. The the, the trouble is, we're bringing the Hanks family into this. Say, so what does that do for Gold Coast tourism? Um, go to the Gold Coast, you die. That's what. That's pretty much how I come to understand. Um, the Gold Coast over the last couple of years. I'm going to stay the hell away from that place and stick to Noosa! Noosa! Um, God, the people are so attractive in Noosa! Oh, Hastings Street. Um, find me a better street and Hastings Street will beat you by 10%. Um, they call, what do they call it? The Hastings Street Markup. The infamous Hastings Street Markup. You can find it in Brisbane for half the price. But why would you want to buy it in Brisbane when you can buy it in Noosa? The great thing about listening to foreign music is you can, you can imagine the lyrics mean anything you want them to mean. If you've had a bad day on the pokies, you can imagine this luscious, romantic French song is about, ooh, bad day on the pokies, tomorrow will be better day, when my child support payments come in, I can take that to the pokies and double it and give my child twice as much food. So I just thought I'd point, um, bring to your attention, everyone, um, a new fundraiser. Um, this is going to this is a GoFundMe to raise money for communities that have been ravaged by uh, too much goodwill. Um, they've given all their money to bushfire relief, and and now they can't pay the rent or buy groceries. So we're going to raise funds for those communities who've just been a little bit too generous and putting too many other people before themselves. The enjoyment of jelly bellies, which are readily purchasable at a young age, is this the gateway drug to Russian roulette? Once you've got a taste for jelly bellies and the thrill of um, wondering whether you're going to be eating a used condom-flavoured jelly belly or a vanilla bean jelly belly, the natural course of action is to soon be playing Russian roulette in a bed lying next to a, a, a hooker. But I've been on enough first dates to become very decisive because decisiveness is sexy. This is a fact. And so what you have to do when you're on a first date is to make it look like you're a man who knows what he wants and when he wants it. So you sit down at brunch and the waitress comes past and she goes, are you ready? And, you know, your date is about to open her mouth and say, oh, we only just sat down 15 seconds ago. And you just go, salmon it, with the milk. Thanks. And they go, we don't have salmon or milk, just the salmon with the milk, thanks. That's very, very arousing, as I understand it. I might just move on to another idea, which is um, the idea of saying too soon when any, whenever anyone makes any joke. For example, if you perhaps made man a very distasteful joke about 
Kobe Bryant or something. That the whole room would stop. People, the waiter would drop a plate of glasses, and everyone would say, "Too soon." But what if you just you made a joke about the Trojan War, and then someone just said, "Too soon, mate. Too soon." Like, do, do you have any idea how many people died in those Trojan Wars? Or it could have just been a knock knock joke. Knock knock. Who's there? The Labor capitulation, the last election. Too soon. You just say too soon. It's it's an easy way to end a conversation that perhaps you don't want to be a part of. It maybe they don't even have to be saying a joke. Maybe they could just be talking about their academic academic achievements. For example, so I got my marks back for the architecture assignment. Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Too soon, mate. Too soon. And then you just walk away. People are trying to stop you in the street to sign up for charities. Avoid these people. Hey, do you know what the biggest killer of young men is in today's society? And they're going to say something about heart disease or something. And that's when you simply say, uh, No hablo espanol. Eh, Perdona me. And then later on at, the, at night, you're at, you're at a bar and you, you see the girl at the bar and you go, Ooh. Hey, how you going? What's your name? What's your number? And they go, hey, aren't you the guy who could only speak Spanish to me in the street? I'll be taking all your questions on coronavirus. Um, Pete from Cannon Hill, he's messaged in. He says, when do we start the looting? Uh, Pete, in about, uh, I second, about 7am we start looting. Um, Stephen from Ashgrove, he's messaged in. He says, uh, is it okay to hold Chinese Australians who've never even visited China before, personally responsible for the coronavirus outbreak? Uh, my answer, yes. Yes, I think so. The Looters Association of Queensland, they've been a little bit quiet for a little while, but um, I'm sure they're plotting something. Having a, um, an, an extraordinary um, annual general meeting. I'm sure there are some very talented looters who just haven't been able to show their skills. You're running a, a local convenience store, you hear something in the, in the back room, you turn around and, oh, there's a perfect pint-sized hole in the window and a TV's gone. That's, that's the art of looting. I, th- I think there is an art to it and um, I'm really excited to see what you guys come up with. The good news is I once went to Covent Garden in West End. It's a gin bar. I went there on a first date with a quite attractive girl. With no word of a lie, one of the bartenders was trying to steal my girl. I walked in, I said, g'day. I said, you know, my name's Harry. This is whatever her name was. And, you know, he, he was just talking just to her. And I was like, well, that's, you know, a little bit rude, a little bit um, eyes up here. Thank you, mate. Uh, then, then we went over to sit down. And he sort of like caught up with us. He was speaking in her ear and she had this shocked expression on her face. As a man, you have to play that cool. You can't look insecure. But then she came over and was like, she was like, do you know that guy? And I was like, we don't know him from a, a bar of salt. Don't know him from a shaker of soap, honestly. And she was like, okay, that's a little bit weird. And I didn't ask any more questions, but I do, I, I'm quite sure that he was trying to steal my girl. So in this crisis, I do find some solstice in the fact that maybe one day I'll be walking down a CBD alley and I'll see that bartender rifling through a bin and I'll say, in the great words of Justin Timberlake, we only got four seconds to save the world and also what goes around comes around. But more importantly, we only got four seconds to save the world. It's cute when you get those um, grave setups in those cemeteries where it's like the husband and wife are buried next to each other. And it's like, oh, that's cute. And I think that's kind of what every girl kind of grows up wanting is this really nice, handsome guy 
to be buried next to them in a cemetery. That's cute. All right, so the mo- what, what could go wrong is you, not only do you get coronavirus, but then they, they have to track where you've been, right? And so they say, look, just, just let us know everywhere you've been in the last 24 hours. You know, you're sitting there and there's you know, quite a, an attractive doctor and they say, look, you know, where have you been? We need to let the media know. So it was about 10 a.m. and I went to the strip club and then I left around 1 p.m. and I went to a vegan restaurant. I ate there and then I had an appointment at the uh, erectile dysfunction uh, clinic. Do we really need to have this many nurses in the room right now? I've only spent one night in hospital in my entire life. That was when I had a bit of a soccer um, injury. I was elbowed in the groin and I severed a blood vessel and it resembled something not too dissimilar from uh, above average sized eggplant. And I had to go to hospital. The first nurse said, okay, I'll just have to um, take a photo of that uh, for the the doctors. The doctor, they got to take a photo for the doctors. That happened like three times. I just want to say, if there are any nurses listening, you need to come forward and you need to own up. Is there some sick, depraved, twisted group chat that you all have? And if so, dude, you have to tag me in that pic. Tag me in that pic of the um, eggplant testicle. That's yeah, that's me, bro. And I remember it was the next day um, when I, they, I was discharged. I was honorably discharged from St. Andrew's Hospital. So I, I had a birthday at a bowl's club and I went there. I literally hobbled there. I was in so much pain because I didn't take the painkillers because I wanted to drink shandies at the bowl's club. I said, hey, boys, you want to see my testicle? And um, for once, they're actually like, yeah, we, we do, rather than me just whipping out and showing them and then going, really, at my wedding? <laughs> um, you're the best man. So we go into the bathroom. And I'm like, all right, lads, I'll get it out for the lads. And they're like, come on, get it out for the lads. I'm like, all right, I'll get it out for the lads. And just whipped it out. And at that very moment, an- another man, a stranger to me, he came in, took one look and went, oh, my God. And I said, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I did. I was not expecting company. And he said, no, oh, my God. That happened to me too. Check it out. And he gets out his phone and shows me a picture of his swollen testicle when he fell off his mountain bike the year before. And uncanny, above average sized eggplant. But people you meet in the bathroom at Merthyr Bowles Club, they kept saying their, their excuse for all this was, you know, health is more important than football. You know, the lives of our citizens are more important than football. And that's where they're wrong. We gather moss. Humans are made to gather moss. People who travel all the time, uh, I'm sorry, they pretend to be happy, man. They go on Facebook, they'll put up photos all the time saying, look where I am, Aleppo in Syria. Hey, check it out. I'm in Manus Island. Hey, check it out. I'm in Manus Island. Hey, check it out. I'm in Manus Island. Can't leave. (laughs) Uh, Fourth person in a row, still in Manus Island. And they make it out like they're happy, but... We gather moss. We're not meant to be rolling stones. And that's why I think uh, if you look at bands who tour around the world, they're always on the move. They have uh, mental difficulty. I'll phrase it that way. But that's my theory. If you don't like it, well, then go stuff yourself. You know, I eat so much pasta. Uh, I've been eating that, just mainly cooking that for dinner, probably at least five nights a week for about five years. And people probably think I saw this coronavirus thing coming like five years ago. Yeah, for the first time, I'm getting funny looks. 
He said, do you want a bag? I said, no, 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 no. You know, being an environmentally conscious person and, and better than you, um, I decided to not take a bag. And I was just walking down the street and people giving me a look. And I was like, oh, they think I'm hoarding. They think I'm coming down here four times a day to get this much pasta. And it's like, yeah, this is my weekly shop. And uh, Someone needs to stick up for me. That's where you can't stick up for yourself in a situation. Then you, and then it looks defensive. They know you're doing something wrong. Hey, by the way, like, um, this is not hoarding. I actually just do my weekly shop. They go, sure you are, dude. That's when you need, like, a really trustworthy looking friend. Maybe, like, a female friend. Just say, hey, by the way, dude. You can stop giving him those funny looks because I know this guy and he eats a lot of pasta and he is not hoarding. This is his weekly shop. So if you're going to look at him like that, you can look at me like that. Okay, Buster? 